caption, you probably thought that there was a movie like 007, Mission Impossible. Uh, a scene came out of just a movie. Like the guy was in a car 40 seconds later, crap, and the next thing you know, he's gone. Uh, believe it or not, this is a true story, a real story, even up to today. Uh, Pastor Raymond Cole is still continued to be missing in Malaysia, as far as we know. Uh, I came across this story maybe back in April through the Voice of the Martyr, uh, radio and publication. Um, I mean, imagine that. Imagine one day you show up, uh, you, you left home for school, you left home for work, you, when you came home. Your father is gone. Your husband is gone. There's no way you can tell. You can report to the police. The police said, we don't know anything that happened. And by the way, the per, uh, his wife reported to police that night. And all the police did, instead of helping her to find her husband, all they did was interrogate her. What did she do? And the reason why he was captured, you know why? Was simply because he had gathered a Thanksgiving uh, 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 feast for those people who supported him in his ministry. He was captured because, largely because he was proselytizing, sharing the gospel in Malaysia. But that gathering that was spotted was not even an opportunity. It was not evangelistic in any way. It was just a simple thank you for those donors. Simple thank you for those who have supported this ministry in Malaysia. And that man, that pastor, now Raymond Cole, has been disappeared from the face of the earth. Think about that for a second. I know this sounds so crazy, and I think even for me, it seems so far-fetched and so irrelevant sometimes. Because by and large, we live in a country that is so insulated from things happening like that, in broad daylight in the middle of Malaysia. This is not in some countryside, it is in the city. But by and large, we live in a world, we live in a country where we're insulated from suffering, from persecution like this. Not to, under, not to understate or diminish any of the suffering that perhaps you and I have gone through. I mean, what's the worst thing we can do in this country when we share the gospel? People might argue with us. People might stop being friends with us. Maybe a bad Thanksgiving dinner because you share the gospel in your, in, in, with your relatives. In comparison to what we just saw, this is not an exception. For many people in this world, many Christians in this world, this is a normal scene. Maybe not captured this way, but perhaps they've been kicked out of their family. I want to read something to you. Stephen Neal, who wrote a book called History of Christian Missions. He talked about the first three centuries when the church was spreading like wildfire. Every Christian knew in their heart sooner or later he or she might have to testify his faith at the cost of his or her life. Like imagine that for a second, that evangelism will cost you your life. We've been kind of uh, having this initiative called Who's Your One? And I know some uh, in my wife's class, they're talking about how to reach out to the one. Imagine sharing the gospel will get you into prison. Sharing the gospel will get you killed. Sharing the gospel will get you captured. In 40 seconds, you will be forever separated from your family. You never get to see them again, perhaps. But in, in our Western world, in our American Christianity, we invent a word like closed. When we talk about mission, we said these countries are closed. The reason why we said these countries are closed is because they're dangerous. Because we have this false assumption that the normal thing is to be safe and to be stable. You and I all, whether you're born here or, or you're growing up here or not, you have been fed this lie that our lives is about stability, it's about, it's about security. 
But yet for Peter and Paul from the scripture, Jesus' life was never saved, was never secure. Suffering was a part of being Christian. But for many of us, suffering means I just need to wake up a little earlier to come to church. Let me read out some stats for you. It is normal for most places in the world to suffer. Last week, uh, Uncle Patrick shared his trip to Cambodia. Believe it or not, over, over 90,000 people have been killed since 1965 as Christians because of their faith. The same goes with China. There are many, many missionaries today in China being kicked out of the country. Ten years ago, China, China is one of the most, uh, most uh, vibrant missionary, uh, mission fields. Today, I personally know of many people who cannot even gather in a house to worship. If you read on the news, Chinese government already have facial recognition software to keep track of people who go to these underground churches so that when they go on the street, when they go through different, uh, different venues, the CCTV will catch them and follow them. See, for most part of this world, people die for being Christian. Over 200 million Christians are suffering today, right now, because they call themselves as Christians. I'm wary sometimes when we throw numbers like that, we start forgetting that each one of these people are real lives. Real people with real husbands, real wives, real brothers, real sisters. You're not going to hear this quote often in a sermon, but I'm going to quote someone that is very opposite of Christianity. His name is Joseph Stalin. He once says this, a single death is a tragedy, but millions of deaths, that's a statistic. For every one of those millions of Christians who are suffering today that, uh, that we don't get to, we don't, we don't, we don't even know how, how the things that they're going through because of their faith in Jesus, because they call themselves as followers of Christ. Every one of those precious souls that Jesus has won. One day, by the way, we will see them if you're believers. I think there's something we need to learn from them. And I think there's something that Peter wants us to learn from, from his, what he's writing to the people. Because remember, the people that he was writing to, they were going through similar things at that time. That they were being persecuted in an empire, in a country where my, uh, Christianity is the minority. That they are being persecuted for trusting in Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 3.13 says this earlier we read. Uh, Peter asked a really interesting question. He says this, thir- uh, verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? I believe Peter is asking a rhetorical question because we all know the answer is many people. We want to say there's no one would persecute us. No one would harm us if we're doing what is right, what is good. But the reality is while we're here on earth, you can be the most Christian person, do the most righteous things. There are still people that will harm us. I'll be the first to tell you that this is probably one of the hardest topics for me to preach as a pastor. Because quite honestly, I don't think I know anything about suffering. So I want to share with you from the word of God today. And as I pray often on, first, uh, on Sunday, on 1 Corinthians chapter 2, asking God that this will be not, uh, your, your faith will not build on my wisdom, uh, any man's wisdom, but on the power of God. All the more today I'm praying because I have no idea, no clue what suffering for Jesus really means. But I think because of that, if you are feeling the same way, because of that, we need to look all the more to the word of God to learn what does it mean to really suffer. For Jesus. 
because I believe I, because I believe that Peter did not spend half of his letter talking about suffering for no reason. While we're still living in a country where there's freedom and religion, I want to give you. I want to. I'm not a prophet, but I want to tell you something. This type of freedom would not last forever. This type of freedom to believe in Jesus, to worship, a gathering like this will not last forever because our world continue to push get back against God. And so I want to encourage you today when we look at the, the passage today, you might not feel any type of persecution, any type of suffering, but prepare yourself as you receive the word of God so that when that time does come, which by the way, every movement of God in the world, that God's doing amazing things in the world, often starts with suffering. You know where is the greatest church movement in the world? I can tell you where it's not. It's not in America. Where we have mega churches. The church that is thriving the best is in Afghanistan and in Africa, where being Christian actually will cause, cause you to die. Persecution oftentimes is the spirit of God's movement in this world. Now, I don't want to pray that for any one of us. I don't want to pray that for my own kids. But what I know is this, every movement of God, including in the Bible, began with death. Began with suffering that leads to death. Think about Jesus. The only reason why we sit here and, and sing all those songs, the song we sing, Man of Sorrow, is because Jesus had to die. And so suffering is an inevitable part of us. But here's a couple of things I want to, uh, kind of, a couple of grounds I want to start with is this. First thing is this, is that righteous living spares us from much needless suffering. You see, in, the, in, in Peter, he, didn't, he does give us instruction. In fact, most of the Bible is instruction, commands from God to help us to live. If you start uh, verse 8, it says, Peter is telling us what to do. Have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, and a humble mind. And then he later on quoted Psalm 34. He says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, if you want to have a good life, he's telling an instruction. In fact, the whole book of Proverbs is telling us common wisdom of life. See, living according to, to God's law and God's rules and God's commands spares us from but here's the key. Righteous living spares us from needless suffering, but it does not spare us from all suffering. Just because we're a Christian, it does not exclude us from suffering. Just because we live by the law of God, it does not guarantee us from a life absence of suffering. I kind of like it this way when you drive. Uh, for those of us who drive, you might be the most careful, the most law-abiding driver there is. You drive under the speed limit. You never cut people off. You signal every time. And you think that by doing that, it can keep you from getting into accident. And those of you who are driving, you know that is never the truth. Because you can keep yourself well and doing uh, abiding by the law. Somebody else cannot abide by the law. They can come by and sideswipe you. They can come by and hit you. And there are times that God has called us to suffer. Peter said it here in First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 14. The key phrase there is this, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So there are chances that we might have to suffer for righteousness' sake. Not suffering for doing wrong, but suffering for doing good, doing the right thing. And further on, here's the convicting part for us. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. 
when, when we talk about gospel, we're talking about what college God's calling us to go to. When we talk about gospel, we're talking about who we're getting married to. When we talk about gospel, what kind of car God wants us to get. How many of us actually consider that part of God's will? That there is actually a chance that God is calling you to suffer and calling me to suffer. So right, suffering is never a punishment from God. I think there's this, this understanding in our hearts. Sometimes in Christianity, we think, oh, I'm suffering because God is punishing me. God died for you already. There's no more punishment that's needed. But sometimes, at times, suffering has a purpose. Those of you who work out, think of this this way. Every time you work out, you're suffering. Every time you work out, you're inflicting pain upon, upon yourself. And for some of you, you're paying people to inflict pain upon you. You're paying people to, to work out with you for an hour to put pain on your body. Because there is a purpose for that pain. Those of you on diet, maybe all of us should be after Thanksgiving. That is a suffering. You are choosing eat the very things that you like to eat you're keeping from yourself eating the carbs that you know you shouldn't be eating while it tastes delicious see suffering has a purpose and sometimes for god there's a purpose for our suffering while we may not know that purpose specifically we know that god's purpose at the end is to make his name known and it's for kingdom's sake so if suffering is part of a part of our christian life and we ought to expect that to be part of life then how then we should we respond to suffering see peter tells us in verse 9 our natural response is this there are two responses to our suffering their natural response is this in verse 9 their natural response is to pay back those who inflict suffering upon us when we talk about suffering here we're not just saying mistakes that people have done we're talking about suffering that is a result of you being a christian you doing the right thing you're living according to god you identify yourself as a christian look at what peter said first peter chapter 3 verse 9 do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary bless for bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing do not repay evil for evil do not revile with reviling this word keep coming up over and over again as we walk through First Peter. Don't speak evil back to people who spoke evil to you. Don't uh, repay evil with extra evil. Don't retaliate. It's very interesting because Peter proceeded after that verse to give us a quote from Psalm chapter 34. If you flip, you don't have to, but if you flip back to Psalm 34, in the beginning of the title of that song, give you the context of that song. That was a song written by David. It was written a particular time before he was king. He was promised to be king, but he hasn't become a king yet. If you remember the story in the Old Testament, David was promised to be king when he was a child, when he was still a shepherd boy. It wasn't until later on that he became the king that was promised to be. But in the meantime, there this personality called King Saul that was in his life. King Saul originally loved David. He, he kind of hired, quote-unquote, hired David to sing song to him, to soothe him. But the problem is King Saul got jealous. King Saul got envious of David. And because of that, he started chasing David away. He started pursue, pursuing him, not to befriend him, but to kill him. And Psalm 34 was a psalm that was written by David in a particular time when he was before uh, the priest Abimelech. And what happened was King David got acted crazy. 
if you go to First Samuel chapter 21, it tells you the story is that King David acted crazy because he was being chased by King Saul from one town to another town. In order to escape, he acted like a complete, complete crazy person. He started scratching on the wall. He started growing out his beard. And all for doing what? The right thing. All for doing the right thing. And in fact, if you go, go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, 22, you see that David had many opportunities, at least two we know of, that he could have killed King Saul. David could have repaid evil what is rightfully evil. King Saul had no business pursuing David and to kill him. And twice, David had a chance to put it right into King Saul's heart. But David did not do it. And, and when he wrote this Psalm, Psalm 34, he reminds us why it's important that we don't repay evil for evil. Particularly in, in two ways, in the way we speak and the way we act. If you go to verse 10, it says this, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. I think there would speak our speech is the first way we like to repay evil for evil, isn't it? When someone says something bad about you, your first response is to say bad something about somebody else. If someone does something wrong against you, the justice that you have starts flowing through your vein and you want to exact justice against that person. And oftentimes it expressed in evil. When someone makes fun of you when you're praying to say, uh, thank God for the food before your meal at school. You might be tempted to want to say bad things back to that person and spread rumors about that person. Call that person a name just like that person called you names. When your coworkers start, re- start reporting you when you're doing the right thing. By the way, before I was a pastor, I was working at, 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 at a workplace where I, one time I told on my coworker about him getting in, or, uh, getting in late, leaving early. And guess what my coworkers w- wanted to do in return? He started tracking every single hour I come in to work, started tracking every hour. He wanted to repay me for what I think I was doing the correct thing to my supervisor. See, that is our natural response. We want to repay, we want to pay back what was evil. We want to repay what people have done to us. But Peter tells us instead of repaying, here's our response, a very strange response uh, to to say. He says this in verse 9, but on the contrary, bless. Bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. I think it's appropriate that we're talking about blessed because when we think of blessing, we think of Christmas time, we think of nice things that we do to one another. Think of the time that you want to bless other people. The recipient of your blessing oftentimes are people who are deserving of your blessing. We bless them because we love them. We bless them because we're, we, 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 are, we are friends. We bless them because we feel like we, 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 we are drawn to these people. But Peter said the people that you need to bless are the pe- very people who are enemies. In fact, those are people who inflict pain and suffering on you. That we're called to bless them. This is not an easy lesson that Peter had learned. Remember, Peter was the one who drew the sword to cut off the ear of that person who was about to arrest Jesus. But way before that, way before he acted immaturely and without faith, Jesus had taught in the Sermon of the Mount about blessing those who persecute us, blessing those who inflict suffering upon us. Matthew chapter 5 says this, Blessed 
are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others, revile, again the word, revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And notice what it says. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For they so persecuted the prophets who were before you. Go down a couple of verses. You said, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other and let him do also. Our natural response is to repay evil for evil. But God, through Peter, tells us we ought to bless. Like, how do we bless someone whom we don't like? Much more than what we don't like, the people who inflict pain and cause us to suffer. Think of the story of Pastor Raymond Coe. How could his wife possibly bless the one who captured his husband and to this day still not be found? I want to suggest to us a couple of ways that we can bless. I think being blessed does not mean that we just become a pushover. I think oftentimes as Christians, we're like, oh, being blessed, I'll just lay down and let people step all over. Here's the first thing I think we should bless our enemies. Bless those who inflict pain and suffering on us. Here's the first one. Be, to bless those people is still calling evil, evil. What I mean by that is that Peter never said that what those people did was right. He still called it evil. He said, Do you just don't repay evil. For evil. He never said that what those sufferings of, uh, that's inflicted upon his audience, is the people who receive his letters, his God's children, is right. It was not right. It was wrong. It was evil that those men had captured Pastor Ko in Malaysia. What this, worth, what this worth had done to many believers in the world and killed them and sacrificed them and, and, and inflict pain upon their family, those are wrong things, evil things. Blessing them does not mean that we excuse them being right thing to do but here's the thing the second thing is this blessing them means that we're not going to hold them accountable for those evil blessing them means we first of all bless god the first verse in psalm 34 the very quote that dave uh, that that peter quoted here in first peter chapter 3 the very first word it says this that i will bless the lord at all times blessing our enemies blessing those who cause suffering upon us starts with blessing god by honoring god by doing the right thing that's what it means to bless those who have inflicted suffering upon us that we're not to bless them uh, because they did the right thing we're blessing them because we honor god for doing the right thing going back to first peter chapter 3 verse 14 says this but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you'll be blessed have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. I'm going to jump down to verse 16. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than doing evil. Look at those words. Righteousness, good conscience, good behavior, doing good. Blessing people who have inflicted suffering upon us because of our identification with Christ means that we're going to keep on doing the godly thing. Keep on doing the right thing before God because we are not reacting to what they do to us, but we're ultimately accountable to what God has called us to do. 
Let me say this real clearly. I, I, I want your, your attention here. Listen carefully. No amount of evil, no amount of evil against us should give us the right to do unrighteous things. Let me say that again. No amount of evil upon us should give us the right to do unrighteous things back. Absolutely zero. Our circumstances does not give us the right to do ungodly things because we do godly things ultimately to God. We honor Christ as holy. We don't do right things because people are worthy of our doing the right thing. We don't act lovingly toward those because they are worthy of our love. We do that ultimately to God. We live before a God and we, we come before God. We don't need to fear those who cause suffering upon us. We don't need to be troubled by them. Also, we don't need to be provoked by them. I know this is easier said than done. But yet that is the example of Christ for us. Verse 12 tells us that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And the ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And I believe what Peter is quoting here and what David wrote is not just talking to our enemies. The eyes of God is upon you. If you do the righteous things, the, his ears are open to those of us who are committed to be righteous before him. And the face of God is against not only to our enemies who've done evil, but if we return evil with evil, God's face is against us as well. As believers in Jesus, uh, believers of God and believing in Jesus Christ, we are ultimately held accountable. There's nothing that people have done to us give us the right to do wrong things back against them. This is important because what the way you live in front of those enemies who inflict sufferings upon you is going to give you the ultimate chance to bless them in this third way. The, the, the ultimate for us to bless them is that we can start looking for ways to proclaim the gospel to them. See, so we're talking about shine. We're talking about this first, uh, first Peter, talking about our theme, shining. The only reason shine, uh, a light will work is in a place of darkness. If you remember very first time when we started this series on 1 Peter, I turned the room dark, completely dark. We dark out all the windows. We, we turn on the light. A light only matters in a dark place. See, this world is filled with evil, both against you and against one another. It is a dark, broken world. Unless you start living differently according to the ways of God, living a holy life, that light is not going to shine. And there's no better place, I would argue, than to shine in the place of suffering. Which I also believe that this is the reason why in the place of suffering, that's where the gospel thrive. You see, in the place of suffering, it gives us an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Verse 15 says this, In your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared. Not sometimes, not often, not occasionally, but always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let me ask you this. In your way of dealing with suffering and your enemies, does it cause those enemies to ask a question about your life? See, when we think of evangelism, we think of, oh, let's just bring a track out, bring a thing out, and just share the gospel. But here, Peter tells us, paint a picture for us. Under the background of darkness, he asks, is the way you live out your life, does it cause people to ask questions about your hope? Does it actually make people curious why you live the way you live? And one of the best ways to cause people to ask for our hope 
is not retaliate and not repay evil for evil and go the extra mile to bless those who hurt us, bless those who cause suffering upon us. Because that will cause them to start asking, you are weird, you're strange, and this world will do that. And that gives us an example, and an opportunity to share with them, yes, you're right. No one would do that. I don't even want to do that to you. But guess what? Christ had done that for me. This is why we need an opportunity. This is why we need to live righteous life in the midst of darkness, in the midst of suffering, so that we have a platform to tell them this hope that we actually believe in. I want to share a story with you. A friend of mine was worked really closely with her boss. Uh, they have a good relationship. Her boss confined in her a lot, which is a, a, oftentimes a disaster when you mix a private life and professional life together. But my, my friend's boss shared uh, some of her struggle. Unfortunately, she was living a very sinful life. But she also claimed herself to be a Christian. But her life does not display any Christian, uh, any uh, Christ-like behavior at all. And so my friend um, decided that thinking that her her relationship was strong enough with her, her boss that she would uh, speak truth to her in love, calling her out on the things that she was doing wrong. So she thought that, my friend thought that she was doing the right thing, speaking truth and blessing her. But lo and behold, a couple of days, a couple of days, uh, a period of time passed when my friend was giving a presentation in front of a work. Her boss decided to take it upon her to humiliate her in front of everybody. She decided to call her on things and criticize her in front of everybody to just completely embarrass and dress her in front of everybody. Now, my friend, a couple options to do at the time. There's one thing she can do. She can air out her boss's dirty laundry in front of everybody else too so that she know not to do that again. She can also uh, afterwards go to HR, to the human resource, and say and report her for mixing, uh, for, for being unprofessional and do and bring and kind of getting even with her in front of everybody when she knows that she has the power and authority to do that. Or she can be quiet. Or she can be quiet and suck it in and take it in. Which was the choice that my friend made. And you're wondering, well, is that worth it? Believe me, my friend cried a lot. She cried it. She decided to bless that person. She kept it to herself. She did not say anything. You know what happened? All her coworkers at that meeting realized that she's a legitimate Christian. All of them know that she's a Christian, and most of them knows that know that she she goes to church. Her 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 her, her involvement at church was consistent. It's real. But this was one of the few times that she saw a legitimate Christian living out in the midst of injustice and suffering. And give her an opportunity to share. And all her coworkers would tell her, hey, you should report her. All your coworkers should revenge. You should do something again, uh, 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 about your boss. You have every right to do it. But yet she chose not to speak bad, badly. She chose not to speak evil against her boss. And as a result of that, she had an opportunity to shine. As a result that people ask her for the hope that she has. Not just that time, but the times uh, following 
There's a saying that says this uh, oftentimes is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It says, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. But I would argue that Peter tells us differently here. That we need to always preach the gospel, but you need to live a good life. So that it will warn the ears of your friends and more importantly your enemies to hear the gospel preached to them. So that's what it means for us to bless. But you may be thinking, man, that's impossible to do. And I, was, I would agree with you. This is humanly impossible to bless your enemies. It is impossible by our own strength. It is impossible by our own power. Which is why Peter continue at the end. It tells us the only way for us to do is he point not to you or us as Christians to try harder, to, to be more disciplined, to be more forgiving. He points to Jesus and said he is the only way for you to live this way. Verse 18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He point back to Jesus. If you want to suffer well, if you want to prepare yourself to suffer well and endure suffering, you need to lean on your salvation in Christ. He says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for unrighteous. Do you remember that? That before you and I were Christians, we were the unrighteous. We were the one who sinned against God. The enemies might sin against you, but you and I are sinners. But we committed the cosmic rebellion against the God that created the universe. And yet, Christ suffered in his flesh for you and I. So that we now can be, be with God and bring back to God. And here's the thing. If you want to endure suffering well, what I find is that forgive, unless you realize that you've been forgiven from much sin, you'll never be able to endure suffering well when people sin against you. A forgiven people are always forgiving people. So you and I have no right to exact justice from other people because you and I have already sinned against the most high God. So unless we remember, if the gospel that you believe in does not bring you back to that place, that you actually sin against God, that is the, the, the capital of all punishment, then perhaps your gospel has a hole in it. And, but on the other hand, if we remember, if we know, if we lean into the salvation, how far, how far below that we're brought back up through Christ, now we can have the power to endure, which leads to the next one. That not only we lean on our salvation, Peter also says this, we also need to lean on the power of Christ. First Peter chapter 3, verse 19, 21, of the most controversial verses in all of Scripture, because it brings us back to Noah, but it talks about all these things about going and proclaiming the Spirit. But in a, because of time, I don't have time to go through all of it. But let me read it to you and tell you what I think it means. It says this, in which he went and proclaimed to the Spirit, in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patient waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through water here's two things you want to get from here is that Jesus went back to preach the gospel to those who were rebellious to God uh, rebellious to God in the days of Noah I assume I hopefully the wrong not a wrong assumption most of you know about the story of Noah that God had rescued, only, reserved only one family and brought all the an, uh, uh, pairs of animals into the ark because the world was so evil. There are two things how we can lean on God's power in our suffering. Here's the first one. Is that the greatness of Jesus Christ is available to you and I as Christians. 
if Jesus is, can go back to time and go back in a different place, he is not bound up by time and place. That means that in your suffering, no matter where you are, you can be in America, you can be in Malaysia, you can be, be in Azerbaijan. No matter where you are and what time you are going through your suffering, God is there with you. Christ is with you. We can count on that. But not only the greatness of Christ, here's the second one, that it is no disadvantage to you and I to be in a minority. We live in a majority world. We think majority always when We think majority is the strength. Look at the verse in verse 20. It says only eight people. Eight people. Eight people, they were the ones that were winning because they were the one who was alive. They were the ones walking with God. All the rest of the people because of the flood had, had been washed away and died. So sometimes when you're going through suffering, there will be times that you feel like I'm the, I'm the smallest of all people. There's no one else around me. It is at that point of loneliness, you can count on it, that Jesus is with you. Just as Jesus was with those eight people, Jesus will be with you, whatever that you're going through, and be encouraged by that. Don't ever feel like the smallest, the minority status of you, how you feel against the world robs you from the goodness of God. I once heard someone said this, the silence of God oftentimes is where God works the most in our lives. The silence of God, when we feel like God is absent in our life, when it's quiet, oftentimes God is doing his best work in us. Here, last one, I want to encourage us and through the word of Peter. That if we are to endure suffering well, we must lean on the authority of Jesus Christ. We must lean heavily on the authority of Jesus Christ. Hear what it says at the end. Peter likened the flood in Noah's time to baptism. Here's what it says. Baptism, verse 21, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a remo removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. To summarize, baptism reminds us, is a picture that as we put our faith in Jesus, we belong to God. And what I want you to point your attention to is where Jesus is today. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers being subjected to him. Jesus is reigning at the right hand of God right now. Your suffering and my suffering our eventual future suffering hopefully won't happen. But if it does happen, that suffering is under the authority of Jesus. The suffering that we, we, ever, we will ever endure are not from people. People are just tools that, that the enemy used to inflict suffering upon us. The ultimate enemy that you and I have are not people. The, our ultimate, ultimate enemy is Satan himself. Think of, the, uh, think of Job in the Bible. God allows Satan to mess with Job's life. All to bring glory to God himself and build up the faith of Job. So every time when you go through suffering, I want you to remember this. That you live under the authority of Jesus Christ. And those people who inflict suffering upon you, ultimately Satan, he is under the authority of, of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to do. Every time you struggle with that and, and you believe in that, I want you to remember to rebuke Satan. You have the faith in Jesus that you can rebuke him. You can tell him there's no harassing, oppressing, deceiving, accusing demon. is free to do whatever he wants. Anything that the suffering is upon you is allowed by God. 
for your good and for the glory of God. And sometimes we just don't understand that. How can we explain in any possible way why God allowed Pastor Ko to be swept away in 40 seconds? I don't have a good answer. But we can have faith that God allowed it to happen because Jesus had the authority over sin. So every time when you struggle and you're suffering, I want you to remember to rebuke Satan and you trust in Jesus. That God himself is overlooking that. Satan is only a cat on a chain. That he won't be able to touch you unless God allows it to happen. I want to end our sermon in this. I know I'm running a little over time. I want to actually have you listen to the response of Susanna Coe, the wife of Raymond Coe. In his interview, I want to hear uh, the interviewer ask her, how does she feel about what had happened? You go ahead and play the slide, please. When you think about the men who were involved in this abduction, what are your thoughts towards them? Do you feel angry? Do you feel mad at them? When you think about them, how, what thoughts come to your mind? I think from the beginning, I have decided to uh, forgive them because they know not what they do. And I follow <clears throat> the example of our Lord Jesus so that there is nothing dark in my heart because I want God to work through me. But it wasn't easy. And in these two years, when I came face to face uh, with some of these police who were being questioned at the Human Rights Commission public inquiry, there were times when I, I, I feel like strangling them because <laughs> they were just lying. They were just not cooperating. And I remember one time I in my car, I was just convicted of my bad attitude towards the police and, and I had to repent with tears before the Lord that, you know, I have to pray for the police. The whole system is riddled with corruption, scandals, and evil. And, and I think I need to see the bigger picture. This is the bigger picture that I need to see that, you know, God is doing a cleansing in Malaysia. And he has to bring up all that is dark and evil so that the light can shine upon it. And we Christians, we are the salt and the light of the world. And, and we need to pray and need to see God's will be done in Malaysia. And, and so um, God yeah, really had to deal with me first to forgive them, pray for them, because they need to know the Lord. If there's going to be transformation in Malaysia, there needs to be transformation in the lives of individuals. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. And while it seems so far-fetched and sometimes so hard and away from what we are experiencing here in America, Lord, I pray that these words will be sown in a fertile soil of our hearts. And God, uh, we are grateful that we don't have to go through suffering in this country the way that many other brothers and sisters in this world are going through. But Lord, prepare us. Lord, train us. Help us to hear the gospel day in and day out. Help us to lean in upon 
our salvation. By the power of Christ and the authority of Jesus. So that when you call upon us to suffer for your namesake, that we will respond. That we will not become coward and shrink away from you. But that we will be to be found good and faithful servant. That in moments of silence and loneliness and pain and sorrow. That we can look to our Lord Jesus Christ. Who have done who have gone through far more pain and suffering, so that you can bring us to to you. So Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will bear fruit in, with these words in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.